My name is Captain Socrates, and we are here aboard the Dialectic. Today, my guest on Singularity One-on-One -on -one will be Arthur Travis Corey. Hi, Arthur, and thank you very much for having us on oh, your boat. I'm, I'm glad to be here as a viewer myself of the show. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> so uh, let's jump right in, and let me ask you this. What kind of a man names his boat the dialectic? <laughs> uh, someone who wants to uh, live on a boat in part so that he can invite people such as yourself and other interesting people to have dialogue on the boat, to discover truths. To discover truths, well, fantastically. Examine, examine the various viewpoints and arrive at the truth. Well, my name wouldn't be Socrates if I wouldn't be for the dialectical <laughs> method of investigation. And we're certainly going to get at the very least the dialogue, if not the truths. <laughs> anyway, um, let's Let's see, how would you introduce yourself for those of our viewers who may not be familiar with you? Well, I suppose I'm an entrepreneur. Um, my specialty is business acceleration, and uh, I've been doing that for quite a while. I founded uh, the first accelerator here in Toronto, a startup accelerator. A startup accelerator is a business that helps other business launch. So uh, we make investments, we put uh, companies through a three-month curriculum of due diligence, a program. It's like a boot camp, essentially, for uh, startup ventures, and it's really mentor-driven. So what we do is we bring uh, uh, a wide variety of experts across different sectors to help the startups to get to the place where they're ready for their first uh, round of seed investment. Fantastic. So. When you say that you're uh, ahead of an accelerator, are you referring to Decentral? I am, yes. So this is the, the one that, I, that we're launching now. Uh, it's interesting because I've been in the accelerator industry for quite a while. I've, had one, I've been involved on the West Coast with uh, you know, venture uh, capital firms, and they do a sort of program of due diligence. And, and out of that came the, uh, the accelerator model that you see now. And Decentral is one which we're totally focused on a very specific sector, and that is decentralized applications mm -hmm. and financial technologies. Mm -hmm. And the reason that's really exciting right now is because we're seeing uh, extraordinary innovations in, in that sector. Uh, most people will know of Bitcoin, and other people might have heard of BitTorrent, and its uh, decentralized application is a has many advantages over a centralized application. It's more robust, it's spread out across various devices, it's almost impossible to shut down. Okay, let me stop you there for a second, we'll, uh -huh. and we'll definitely come back to uh, Bitcoin and decentralized apps. But before that, let me ask you, what's your mission statement uh, of Decentral, that is? To accelerate decentralized apps and uh, fintech ventures. And, and, and there's an there's a underlying you know, mission that we have ourselves personally. We think that these kind of networks are really going to do something that's good for the world. Mm -hmm. And that is really the reason that most people are in the decentralized app space. Decentralized networks are very equitable, they're very uh, democratic, they're um, very different than the centralized 
systems that, that we, uh, and they provide a, a real uh, opportunity to do new things. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. So if I'm here to quote from your website, you're saying that uh, the first business development center dedicated to fin fi financial tech innovation and decentralizing technology. Yes. So let me ask you this. Is it a startup incubator or is it a venture capital fund? The venture both? capital fund uh, powers it. It makes investments in the companies that go through an acceleration program. The acceleration program is three months long and the goal of it is to, is to take the company to a place where it has everything it, it needs for investment, for a larger round of investment. So we are actually investing. We're investing uh, twenty-five to 55000 when they come into the program. 100,000 on the way out, and then what we do is we help facilitate their real seed round, which is usually you know a million and up. Mm -hmm. So you're actually both uh, an investment fund and an incubator. That's right. So we sit in the middle of the investment ecosystem at the very early stages, and we help the startups start up, get through. There's a saying in industry; it's called the Valley of Death. Beyond when you have that prototype, mm -hmm. but you need you need a chunk of money to, to actually get that traction in the marketplace, so so that you can prove to your final investors and everybody all the other connections that you need to get on board with the idea that is going to work, mm -hmm. and that needs an infusion of capital and and mentorship and 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 focus, and that's what we provide. You mentioned mentorship, and I I've been to your website and I spent some time there and was absolutely blown away by. First, the number of mentors that you have listed, but mm -hmm. also the more importantly, even the quality yes, of those isn't people. Isn't Some amazing? world-class yes. entrepreneurs are mentoring for you guys. Can you yes. tell us a little more about that? So, uh, I'm very grateful myself to have these people involved. And why don't uh, you give us a few names, for example, Stuart? Well, one of our in-house mentors is Vitalik Biderin, who just won the uh, Peter Thiel uh, Foundation Award. And he is uh, one of the founders of uh, Ethereum and mm -hmm. the main engineer behind it. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, we have other people like uh, the founder of BitPay, which is one of the... Uh, we have people that are active in the banks in Canada. We have major VC firms across the states. Yeah, and, that's yeah. what I was referring to, more of the established players. I was Yes. That's exactly what I was surprised with. I thought that we, when we started this uh, concept, I thought, okay, we're going to get these um, this amazing rogue talent from around the world that's really yeah. interested in making decentralized applications. But it, we're actually we're we're attracting bankers, traditional bankers. We're attracting all the top tier VCs across Canada. We're, we're attracting um, some major players out of the states and even out of Europe that are are in it because they want to they want to learn. They understand that this this is a new paradigm that is going to happen in technology, and and they and a lot of them want to help out because they think it's going to make much like uh, the decentralization of information on the internet. They think that the decentralization now of of other industries is going to make the world a better place, and they want to be part of it. Fantastic. So, give us a few example of the ventures in residence that you have. You have a number of them. We do. Give us a few examples and. Perhaps you can give us some tips on which ones are the most exciting ones for you. <laughs> well, Buttercoin is a very interesting one. They're uh, backed out of the valley by Google Ventures, and they're an exchange. So they're a cryptocurrency exchange, much like the traditional exchanges you think of when you think of Wall Street. Mm -hmm. These are trading back and forth between what are called altcoins. Mm -hmm. and 
they have varying values that go up and down and you trade them and that's how you make a profit. Mm -hmm. So it's an old model taken into a completely new space of, of currencies. And a space that's being carved out as we speak. Yes, yes. And, and it's a space that is set to really uh, transform the financial industry. Yeah, I recently published an article called uh, uh, "The Financial Singul Bitcoin: The Financial Singularity Is Here." Yes, I read it uh, because I, I believe it it has the potential to revolutionize everything from government to law to uh, the way the banking system works, the financial system, voting contracts, everything. To me, this is clear that this is the future. This is happening. It's going to happen faster than anyone could ever imagine. If you look back at the history of similar technologies such as email and the effect that had on communications. Uh, you look at the effect that a simple innovation like uh, BitTorrent and music sharing had on the music industry. Now we're seeing the same thing happen in the financial industry with Bitcoin and that's just the beginning. There are going to be more. There are going to be smart contracts disrupting the legal industry and there are going to be uh, governance apps created using various technologies, the same technologies that make Bitcoin you know, virtually fraud-proof and open and transparent can be applied to, uh, to democracy itself in, in voting apps for whatever governance people use them for. You said virtually fraud-proof, but recently there were a lot of headlines made with a 51% attack. Yes. And the fact that one of the mining uh, unions had like almost 48% or something. Right something like that. So isn't that a way to sort of subvert the system and actually defraud it uh, is. many people? You need to remember that the development of, of technologies like Bitcoin is open source and it is community driven. So um, things like this do have the ability to be solved and addressed. But that is, I think that is the biggest flaw that in, in Bitcoin itself. Yeah, but yeah. So, so that would make it not so fraud-proof then, would it? Well, it's, uh, I would say that it is more fraud-proof than any type of financial transaction, any store of value that has ever been created in human history. Let's say that. Mm -hmm. As if you compare it to fiat currency or gold or all, all the funny business that can go on there, the difference with Bitcoin is very simple. It's open source. Anyone can examine the code. There are, it's constantly being audited by what's called network consensus, and it's all out in the open. So if anything goes wrong, we all know about it, and there's no secrecy. There's no uh, shadow cabals or, or, or conglomerates that are, that are working to... It's all out in the open. We know what's going on. Yeah, and I'm myself uh, willing to accept that argument also because the incentives are lined up in such a way that it's actually more profitable for those 51% to work forward yes. uh, in mining or in support of uh, propagating the industry rather than trying to go backwards in time and subvert it. Uh, it just The payout is smaller if you try to defraud rather than if you try to go along and play along by the rules. You have a good understanding of it. So, well, I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> uh, but let me ask you this. We started our conversation and you said that decentralization is the future. Yes. Would you mind elaborating a little bit more on that on other uh, uh, levels or realms other than cryptocurrencies? All right. So, yeah, 
the the concept of decentralization is difficult to attain in the real world. You know, for the, for thousands of years, humanity has been creating systems that are hierarchical and centralized. You know, for a reason because they work. They work the best in most cases. Uh, those systems do have a problem that we're all experiencing now in areas like, for instance, the uh, uh, the central banking system. Uh, and the ups and downs and, the, and the, the bad monetary policy we see, the, 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 the unfair controls of, of the market in places, and, and uh, we all suffer because of these things. And you could say that the same thing happens in government with uh, too much centralized control. And uh, the, the, the thing about these decentralized apps and decentralized networks is that the regulation, so to speak, is built right into the technology. So that the technology regulates itself, governs itself, and it's open for all to see and understand mm -hmm. how it works. Mm -hmm. And let me ask you, so what are some of the most notable benefits for decentralizing everything? Well, on a technical side, there's no single point of failure. So the networks are much, much more robust. Uh, that, and that same single point of failure, because there's no central authority, means that there, it's, there's a, a very uh, if slim chance of co or to none of corruption or uh, errors or uh, bad policy, because the policy is really driven by the community and by the developers. Mm -hmm. But isn't that also its greatest weakness? I mean, the biggest flaw is that precisely because you don't have a central authority and that you cannot control it, Therefore, you cannot direct it in a direction that's desirable by most of us or I, all of us. Who is you? Who is you in that Well, statement? let's say the population or let's say the government who may want to conduct uh, monetary policy, for example, for yes. the benefit of all, in theory. Yes. Yeah, that, that, is, uh, that is the big question out there right now. So it's also, it's the biggest strength, but it's also at the same time a bit of a weakness, at least in the eyes of people. Like, for example, let me be more specific. Please. Charlie Strauss wrote this, Bitcoin looks like it was designed as a weapon intended to damage central banking and money issuing banks with a libertarian political agenda in mind to damage states ability to collect tax and monitor their citizens financial transactions. Which is why he went on to say, quote, I want Bitcoin to die in a fire. This is a start, but it's not sufficient. So is it a weapon or is it a safeguard? Is it uh, something that's going to take over and, and dominate, or is it uh, going to bring balance? Well, I guess it depends on your point of view very much, and, and that kind of leads to, to the question, is it designed by people who have libertarian political agenda? I mean, does Decentral have a libertarian political agenda? I would say not libertarian, necessarily. I would think that most people involved in this industry, although there are a lot of people who are there obviously because there's a lot of investment happening and a lot of money to be made. Mm -hmm. But I think that most people I know are originally drawn to it because they see that uh, much like other information technologies that we've seen, that this is going to do good things. So, and by good things, I suppose it's a, a slightly, you could call it a libertarian viewpoint where you don't have a, a uh, an overwhelming uh, central control by a, an authority. It's, uh, for instance, with Bitcoin, anyone can be their own bank. And you can transfer money around the world 
without fees mm -hmm. from peer to peer, person to person. At near zero marginal cost. Yes. Yes, but you see, I'm willing, I myself can walk along with you to the fact that it is very disruptive, it is radically new, and it has a good chance to changing the world. Uh -huh. I am falling short of claiming it would necessarily be for a good thing, for, towards a good end and for the better. I hope it will be, mm -hmm. but right now I, I, I just personally think for myself it's too early to say uh, exactly which way it's going to go. I think it has good potential and it has bad potential too. What do you see as the bad potential? Well, precisely this, the lack of ability of, of having monetary policy, right. the fact that it, it will pretty much destroy the state as a unit because the state is based on taxation. Right. And I'm a reforming political scientist, so uh, I'm still not quite ready to embrace the idea, of, you know, the state is historical artifact in many ways, right. and yet it is the state which has led the progress, the industrial revolution, the rise of living standard, right. uh, the egalitarian and equal equitable societies that we live in where you can enjoy political freedom and freedom of speech. All those things were provided by the state right. system. My concern is that if the state system collapses and we return to a state of, an state of anarchy, uh, then the winner takes it all. Then it will be again the, the, the law of the jungle and the strongest, the lion, will be the king of the jungle again. So I'm, I am not an anarchist. Some might say that I have, I definitely believe in free market. And so I suppose some would say that I have libertarian leanings. I wouldn't call myself a libertarian. And I don't think that uh, nation states are a bad thing, but this is, this is exactly where we at, are in history. This technology is here, it's not going away. And I think that if you really examine it, it is, has the great potential to take the power of printing money and already is away from nation states. So when nation states or central banks don't have the power to print money, then uh, you know, you've got to question their power over taxation and all kinds of other things. Over raising an army, but yes. also over sustaining public order, paying the police, That's paying right. the judiciary. That's right. And the good thing about having a state paying for these things is because this way we can have an independent, independent judiciary, independent executive, independent law enforcement. Right. And my concern is that if you end up in an anarchy or decentralizing everything where the state is unable to sustain those, you would have to inevitably privatize them and then they would be basically pawns in the rich and the powerful. And I mean, let me give you mm. an example. Mm -hmm. The Economic Policy Journal recently published an example where they said 927 people own half of all bitcoins. Right. Right? That's the most unequitable monetary distribution that we know yes, of. I agree with you 100%, and this is a problem that we need to address. These, these technologies are here. They're extremely useful, they're extremely powerful, and if we don't adapt to them and start using them, and um, when I say we, I also am talking about the banks and governments, uh, you're going to have the same thing happen historically that happened to the music industry, because people are not going to stop sharing music. It's just a better way to get their music. It's easier, faster, and uh, Bitcoin is exactly the same way. Why would I pay Western Union to transfer my money to the other side of the world and wait for who knows how long it takes when I can send it there with Bitcoin and, uh, for free 
and Bitcoin is a safer store of value. You see, I agree with all of that. And I, I also believe in the free market myself. But I believe that the state creates the environment in which a free market operates because it mm -hmm. doesn't happen in a vacuum. You also need the, the legal, you need the political, you need the economic, you need the enforcement, law enforcement system, you need the judiciary uh, when you have to settle disputes. And you need all of those layers in order for you to have more or less a free market I agree, system. so we better start talking about it like we are here because it's coming. Yeah, yeah. And, and I am hopeful that it would come to, uh, you know, to benefit all of us. I'm just not, not quite sure yet. This is one of the reasons I want to get in the space. You know, I think that it's the people in the space that are driving it. They have a huge influence over how these things can, can progress. You can look at the, at the difference between um, you know, Apple and Microsoft and the difference between those products mm -hmm. and, and the different cultures created. I, I, that's why I want to be in the space. That's why I want to be helping grow companies and having them um, not just the best mentors on the companies to make money, but also to, to make the best uh, products or the, the best uh, technology that they are. And then by best, it means taking into the, you know, social responsibility and all kinds of different things. Yeah, I have to share with you, uh, this is also one of the reasons why I'm optimistic because I've been hanging around uh, Decentral. I, I attended uh, the Bitcoin Expo here in Toronto. Yes. Uh, I interviewed Andreas Antonopoulos, Vitalik Buterin, now mm -hmm. people like yourself. And those are the people that make me optimist yes. because I respect and I like those people. Like when I interview kids like Vitalik, yes. you know, I am hopeful about our future. Mm -hmm. Makes me smile when, just when I think of him, right? Software development is an art and these are the artists creating it. Mm -hmm. It's probably the most important art of our time. That's Thank very, very you. neatly yeah. put. I like that. Let me ask you though, if you flip that coin, chances are that you will encounter some kind of ideological, political, economic, or even legislative resistance. Yes. Because change doesn't simply happen, you know, you have to earn it. Yes. You have to overcome barriers, you have to overcome momentum, inertia that people have developed, institutions, and of course there's no bigger institution than the state. So the state... Well, one could argue that many corporations are bigger institutions than the state now. Certainly, of course, yeah. and those are very powerful. Mm -hmm. They may not like to change the game, to change the rules, to change the whole system that we're part of. Because they're pretty well set off right now here. Yes. And in the new world, their places are not guaranteed anymore. So what, what do you think about that, that kind is, of a backlash? That is one of the interesting parts that uh, where I am right now with my position, I get to see all sides. I get to work with the developers. And I've also been holding things like think tanks. Uh, you know, private private meetings, uh, Bitcoin 101 sessions, and such mm -hmm. at Decentral. And mm -hmm. we've seen people from you know, from top VCs to people representing the banks to people to the venture capitalists for telecoms that come come to us and they say we need to develop wallets because we understand what's going on. We want to learn about Bitcoin. We understand this is coming. So, so these the banks, the telecoms, uh, governments. They're all trying to learn about this, and, and uh, Canada, for instance, is the first country to pass regulation. It was surprisingly friendly regulation on Bitcoin. It said that Bitcoin businesses, businesses that uh, buy and sell Bitcoin, uh, must have a money services license, which I think is uh, very reasonable. 
legislation to start with. Yeah, and speaking of yeah. Canada, I was amazed by the entrepreneurial spirit that I experienced at the Bitcoin Expo and then uh, during my visits that's, to Decentral. That's really what I love I about the space. I was living right, almost right next door to you guys and I was never aware of that boiling, melting pot of entrepreneurial spirit that yes. we had right here in our backyard and people yeah. like Vitalik, like yourself and like all the other people that I got to meet uh, at Decentral. So to me, that was very optimistic for us here as a community in Toronto and in Canada. Made me made me really happy. <laughs> me too. That's just why I'm there. You know, it reminds me of the very beginning of the internet. Really, that's mm -hmm. that much. Yeah, it did, especially the developers involved, their personalities. Mm -hmm. It's very much like uh, when I when I got into this business in the you know the late '90s. Going back to that potential backlash, have you experienced anything so far? Oh yes. Yes. Yeah. Extreme prejudice. At Decentral, we had our uh, our bank account taken away. By whom? By the bank. Really? Yeah. So we had to. It's interesting because that forced us to operate in Bitcoin, for the most part. And that's exactly I think if banks, governments don't cooperate with what's inevitably happening with these technologies, then you're going to see repeat of what happened to the music industry. So the music industry actually forced decentralization. When, Bit, uh, when uh, the first uh, file sharing services were out, you had like Napster. It was a centralized server. Okay, how do you get rid of Napster? Well, the uh, music industry gets together, they sue, and yeah, they get and the they server taken down. down. Yeah. Single point of failure. Yeah. So what comes up next? Well, you had some other players that were kind of semi-servant. Yeah, ah, yes, so, so first there was some in different parts of the world they tried to hide, it didn't work. And then something was invented which was completely decentralized and no one could shut down. It's a protocol-based you know, technology called uh, BitTorrent. And it will probably exist for many decades to come. And it is now the way that the majority of music files are shared. Speaking of BitTorrent, by the way, they made headlines recently by trying to implement a monetization model. Uh, where they would help young artists sell some of their work and take a percentage cut just like iTunes. Right, Did so you hear about that? No, I didn't. So is it a foundation that runs BitTorrent? Is that how it, how it works? Yeah, I'm not sure exactly how it would be implemented, but I think they were thinking of running a crowd uh, crowdfunding uh, fundraising campaign. Okay. And, and uh, they were thinking of uh, basically implementing a hybrid model, borrowing some elements from iTunes where they can sell some legitimate content and charge a percentage on the transaction cost. And that's one of the most fa fascinating things about decentralized technologies that I'm experiencing now is that it completely shifts where the value lies in products and in companies. For instance, let's say that a company that created a next version of uh, Bitcoin came through uh, our accelerator program. Uh, we traditionally take 7% equity uh, in most accelerators as the industry standard and then you get a re return on that investment in the future when the company itself is acquired by a larger company or they go public mm -hmm. and there's a liquidity event. Uh, now let's say that company was Bitcoin. Uh, it's not the company itself, it's not the shares because it's open source, it's out, put out to the community, it's out, it's out there developed by the community, it's no longer really driven by the, by the company so much. How do you take it public anyway? That's the thing, so we're actually adjusting our model so that we say that if companies like that come through our program we're going to make a product purchase 
and that is our investment. So we'll make a hundred thousand dollar product purchase. If it was Bitcoin, it would be we would be buying Bitcoins. Mm -hmm. And but what we're really looking for is is the next is new improvements and new new inventions. Yes, and you said that there may be a company that is coming through your accelerator program that is developing Bitcoin 2.0. And as luck would have it, there is one such company that you didn't mention as one of being most excited about. You yes. mentioned Buttercoin, but what about Ethereum? So Ethereum is an uh, it's the most incredible project that I've ever had any uh, contact with in my entire career. It ha it has uh, developers it, I, I first met the founder, uh, Vitalik, who you interviewed, um, I think it was December. And so that was only about six or seven months ago. And uh, now it, there are groups of developers all around the world working on this thing. It's, it was made a legal currency in, in Switzerland at one point, Ether is called the... But now they're moving it away from that and they're actually turning it into more of a, a product. So it will be a product sale that they're launching. So that's a good example of, of where the value lies, the value in Ethereum will be not specifically in the uh, equity of the company. The, the Ethereum is actually moving towards a non-profit model mm -hmm. because that's how they can best create the technology and then the, the value will actually be in the Ether when it goes on sale. Mm -hmm. so. Very interesting. And how do you, can you give us any inklings about when we can expect the, the launch perhaps because it's been shifting over time? That's the big question. I'm not sure I'm not privy to that inside information. I see. Yeah. Okay, so le let's perhaps move on our conversation here to another decentralized feature and that's decentralized apps. And we kind of covered much of, of, the, of the field already, but mm -hmm. give us a few more thoughts about decentralized apps. So decentralized, it's a very, very early space. We, we, it's, it's as difficult to say where it's going to go as it would have been to say what would happen when the first uh, email protocol was invented. Who, who could have seen Hotmail or Gmail from this interesting protocol that was invented? And that it, we're, we're at that early stage with decentralized apps. There really aren't any very dominant decentralized apps yet. It's, it's, uh, it's people who understand technology and, and the markets and they look to history, they understand where this is going and why. Arthur, it's been fascinating talking to you about all those issues, but let me ask you, What's your biggest dream? <laughs> My biggest dream personally? Yes, I personally. Would, I, want, I want to do exactly what I'm doing now on a grander scale and I want to... Bigger uh, boat? Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> definitely. I'd like to have an office on it. Sure. And perhaps uh, that's where I'll run uh, my VC firm out of in the future. It would make for easier interview setup, but, <laughs> but beyond, beyond the boat? Beyond the boat, I want to be helping create these uh, new decentralized systems and helping the world adjust to, to this new paradigm. And I want it to progress in a good way. And I don't want to happen what happened with the music industry. I think we can, we can guide it in a better direction. To tell you the truth, I myself will not cry too much for the banking industry. <laughs> if that were to happen to them. But, but that's again yeah. only my my sort of personal prejudices, if you will. <laughs> the the pro the problem is that it it is a real danger. It is a real danger. I mean, you, you, if you really think about how the structures of our societies and how dependent we are on the money system and banking yeah. and, and I governments. I agree. I'm mostly joking, of course, yeah. because while I I don't you know have a soft spot in my heart for them, I, I do realize that they are 
playing some kind of a marginal function. It's an open question about how vital to our civilization it is at this point, especially maybe more in the past, but at this point, mm -hmm. I think uh, they may be going the way of the dinosaurs. So I just hope that that transition happens in a more peaceful and less disruptive way. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I'm, and that's exactly what I'm working towards. And then the flip side of that coin then is what's your biggest fear? Is it what you just mentioned, the collapse of the whole system all at once in a sort of chaotic yes, and my, my anarchic big, my, manner? My biggest fear would be conflict. Governments around the world uh, trying to regulate and, uh, and ban Bitcoin. And then you, you'll see the most uh, chaotic type of disruption. You know, disruption that goes underground just like it did with the music industry. Well, New York State is trying to implement uh, a bunch of uh, uh, Bitcoin uh, the states is very rules hostile. and regulations. The states is very hostile to this kind of technology. And it's interesting, that's one of the reasons that this is happening in Toronto, is because uh, for whatever reason, I'm not sure why, or maybe it's our culture, of, uh, maybe it's the fact that we're a little bit more conservative, and, and therefore we're not uh, slapping all these regulations on so quickly. But uh, we're seeing a reverse brain drain where companies working in the space are actually coming up to Toronto especially. Toronto was uh, the first Bitcoin ATM in the world was in Vancouver. The second was at uh, Decentral. And um, that's indicative of, of what's, what's happening in, in Canada. Yeah. yeah. And while that makes me feel good about Canada and Toronto in the world, it still doesn't say too good about if, if south of us we, we're having big trouble, we're yes. still not going to be that much better off because we're kind of in the same boat in this. So, uh, yeah. Well, Arthur, let me see. My, my, as you know, the title of my show is Singularity 101. Mm -hmm. So let me ask you this. I mean, we have to throw in artificial intelligence somewhere here. So yes, I don't think it's a throw in particularly. Precisely, precisely. <laughs> so at what point do these decentralized systems that we've been speaking of become their own drivers? Right. And in other words, what will happen with the emergence of artificial intelligence in such a decentralized system? I think that's a very important question and people should start talking about it. But that's also one of the reasons why some of us are worried is because another reason why I'm worried about is that my kind of uh, gut feeling is that it will be easier to control AI if it's centralized if we have it developed in a centralized manner, in a centralized institution. Mm -hmm. If it's decentralized everywhere, mm -hmm. then our ability to control and direct it towards it a better be goal ever, it will, just will be, be everywhere. essentially it will nil. Be everywhere. And it takes only one rogue bad AI, AI probably to start killing people and then we'll be in a big mess. Perhaps. So that, that's that's where when you throw in artificial intelligence and decentralization of everything, I'm, I'm really concerned. Why would an AI not be decentralized? It just makes more sense. It's well, decentralized networks are more robust. If you are an AI and you have some kind of uh, sense of self-preservation, then definitely you're going to become a decentralized application. Well, let me give you a couple of reasons though. Because such AIs would currently, as it is, most likely be developed by large institutions. Right governments or the military. Mm -hmm. All of those would have inherent interest to control their creation. Right. Therefore, they would 
do their best now successfully or not right. but they would do their best to be in control of such entity and to sort of lay out the rules or the groundwork of its potential behavior if you will right and that should be largely aligned with their own goals yes now if you decentralize that and you have micro players capable of doing this then anything goes for grabs that's right and it would just evolve on its own I mean, some of these decentralized apps that we're seeing already, um, they have um, you know, their own controls built in. And that's the concern. If it mm -hmm. evolves on its own, mm -hmm. mammals evolved on their own and they displaced the dinosaurs. To me, I think that if AI does evolve and we see machines that can truly learn, and you know, whether they're sentient or not, that's not necessarily what we're talking about. We're talking about uh, machine learning directing itself and improving itself in this case, I w it would definitely be decentralized. I can't imagine why that, uh, why that kind, kind of an intelligence would choose to live on one server. I think even currently right now, the most successful way of building AI is uh, with what's called evolutionary algorithms. Uh, and so in, in that sense, that's decentralized. Even, even when I interviewed people like uh, David Ferrucci, who was the team leader behind Watson, uh -huh. he said, don't ask me why not what Watson knows this or how Watson knows that. I yeah. don't know. He learned it and he knows it. Amazing. We don't know how, but he did it and he does it. Amazing. I, and I can't answer precisely how it works necessarily, right? So, uh, <laughs> and what about transhumanism? The one way of resolving that issue would be not fighting the machines, to but becoming become the machines, merging with, with them, them, interfacing with them. Yes. What, what, how do you see the importance of transhumanism well, or the connections with what you do? That certainly does fit into a decentralized future in a way, uh, especially when you think about wearables. I mean, I'm not necessarily talking about implants and, and, and uh, direct uh, interfaces with, with uh, human flesh, mm -hmm. but let's just think about wearables. And, the uh, uh, let's say you have a that's uh, the reality now I a think. wallet a wallet that lives on your watch yeah and of course you're going to choose a decentralized technology it's going to be encrypted it's going to be uh, it's going to have something a similar technology that evolves from Bitcoin mm -hmm. and uh, you're not going to want to have that centralized it's just not safe mm-hmm but isn't that the reality even now with wearables? I mean, they're exploding everywhere. We have yes. the quantified self becoming more and more popular. We have all kinds of sensors proliferating on Kickstarter and everywhere else. That's right. For, you know, anywhere from 10 to, to, to 100 bucks to, to mere cents. So the Internet of Things is going to be decentralized. Definitely. And I think that decentralized apps will run on that. It just makes sense. Uh, because decentralized apps uh, can benefit from the decentralized network. There's one little device, you don't want to put all, it doesn't have to have all the computing power that you need. The computing power comes from the network. So you can have one, you know, minimally designed device. As long as is, you can connect it to the cloud or, of other devices. Yes, and then you have, it's, it's, it's the uh, computing power of the Bitcoin network is now the most powerful supercomputer on earth. Mm -hmm. So and that is the same power that we'll see in the in the wearables that we have, or the future implants that are created, or or any of these kind of uh, you know that vision of, of transhumanism, whether it's uh, nanobots or any of these kind of technologies. I think I think that's clear. 
Arthur, it's been fascinating talking to you on your boat, the dialectic. <laughs> and I believe we managed to open up a dialogue. I believe so too. I'm not sure if we have been able to deliver the truth. I think we've provided a window. <laughs> but I think we started <laughs> the, the path. Yeah. Uh, it is time for us to move on though. So let me ask you, where can uh, our viewers find more about you and your work? Oh, I, they can visit decentral.ca. That's the best place. Yes. Fantastic. And what's the most important message you want to send out for all of our viewers? Oh, I, I would like people to just start learning about this and start learning what's happening. Um, give, give Bitcoin a try. Come down to our, if you're in Toronto, come to our ATM. Find your nearest ATM. Buy $5 worth. E educate yourself. You know, it's coming and uh, let's, uh, let's make it a good, a good new paradigm. Arthur Travis Corey, thank you very much for having us aboard the Dialectic. This is great. Thank you. Yeah.